0: Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Superbook Sports. J.J. Jerez here, Arif Dean, in an empty ball arena following Game 7. I I guess, where do we start this one off, Arif? I mean, uh, let's go with the Game 7, right? I mean, the Game 7 woes for this group, this generation of Avalanche players continue right this isn't the yeah. first time we've seen them have a hard go of game seven in fact it's the fourth time we've seen them have a, a, a tough go in game seven in the last nine seasons so um i guess let's start there game seven's being a tough thing for the avalanche to to overcome lately
1: i just lately, i can nine I years is lately. i can't go there i i honestly can't if if the avalanche lost to the st louis blues in 2022 in a game seven we can do 45 minutes on this but this is just it's different it's not This isn't a series of the avalanche. And I know 2020 was was injuries and adversity, but that's that's not the conversation to have about the series because of what this team's overcome. Because every single player in there, and down to Jared Bednar, the conversation, and Nathan McKinnon said it best. He said something along the lines of, throughout the season, you try to say the right things the entire time. And then went on to talk about how the reality is, like this season has just been... It's been so tough for this team for so many reasons and it's 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 hard to blame them and it's hard to put this and pin this on, you know, the mental strike that wins it takes to win a game seven. I think they fought valiantly to the end. They weren't consistent the entire series, but God, they just had so many odds stacked against them. They 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 had a Josh Manson and a Darren Helm that were banged up and in the playoffs and then out after missing the end of the regular season. And Cogliano gets banged up at the end of the regular season and is in and then is out, obviously, for a shitty hit from Jordan Eberle. Uh, Val Nechushkin. that's that's the story in itself. Did Did he screw this team over or is this reasonably something that was, you know, kind of— Okay for him to take a personal leave and an understanding of, you know, fans that are expecting more from a guy that just signed an eight year forty nine million dollar contract. Kale McCarr, we know he's hurt. Jared Bedner said there's a lot of guys that are hurt. I just did the Jared Bedner thing of taking a simple question and rambling on about it Mm -hmm. and going kind of off topic. But to go back to your original thought, this season is not about and this series is not about losing a game seven and it being an unfortunate loss. It's about this team had put everything it can on the line and just ran ran out of options. I don't even want to say ran out of gas. They just ran out of ran out of options. Their hands are up, and, and they need this break more than anybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of Avs fans. They feel the same way. I've talked to a lot of media. They feel the same way. You can even get the vibe from the players, right? This yeah. loss here was a tough pill to swallow because, you know, with a full team, this series has a much different look to it a much different outcome, but it's also at the same time an easy pill to swallow, I feel like, because of just that same fact. They didn't have the guys. They knew for a while that this just wasn't their year, right? You got that feeling for a long time, and that's just the way it was. So uh, there's really both sides to look at it here for everybody, and and that's definitely the message I got from the players today. Yes, all of them very disappointed that they lost, but at the same time, the odds were just stacked against them, and they, they just had nothing but an uphill battle to even overcome this series, let alone the next three.
1: If there's if there's any example of what you're talking about, about this team just kind of feeling that way, I think my favorite one was talking to Evan Rodriguez about it, because he wasn't here a year ago. He didn't see what this team went through to win the Cup. He wasn't in this room but he has so much appreciation and he spoke about all the appreciation he has for this team. He spoke about, you know, the relationship he has with Gabriel Landeskog despite never playing with him. The idea of Rodriguez and Landeskog on the same ice at the same time is, is, is a weird thought because it never happened, but he still had so much respect for what Gabe brings to the room for what this leadership team did for, you know, there's two leadership cores on the avalanche. There is the young core that we're going to watch for the next decade. It's McKinnon, and Makar and Miko, you know, maybe Devontae's and, and Byron. We'll see how the summer goes with, with extensions. Taves has one more year left on his deal, but obviously will be eligible for an extension July 1st. And then there is the veteran core, the Darren Helm, Andrew Cagliano, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, th- those older guys that are just winding down on their careers. And he had so much respect and so much to say about both of them. And and you can tell that, He appreciates what these guys did. He knows he wasn't here a year ago, but given the adversity and the fact that their summer was so short, he genuinely feels like these guys put it all on the line and and did everything they can to get to this point.
0: Let's look at tonight's game, right? Just a frustrating game if you're the Avalanche because just like you're saying, they left it all out there, right? You even heard Miko say they, they played and left their heart on the ice, and you saw it. They played a good game. They even you know dominated that first period, couldn't crack Grubauer, and that's what really killed them in tonight's game, right? That first period, just that their ability to create chances, and then Grubauer was shutting them down. I don't even want to point the finger at the Avalanche goal scoring, which I usually do. I love to point the finger at and say, hey, these guys aren't scoring enough but i think that was grubauer's period grubauer stole the show there more so than the avalanche dropped the ball
1: yeah absolutely he he was unbelievable obviously they had another goal that was waved off but they tried man they they fought they fought valiantly he made a lot of great saves and you know two or three of them on mckinnon nathan mckinnon didn't end the game with a goal he thought he had one on the power play goal on a one timer that ended up just nicking rantanen on the way in and then he thought he had one on a one timer assisted by rantanen that ended up obviously getting called back after the challenge so like they did everything they can grubauer came to play i said before the game you and i were sitting and uh, downstairs and i said that the avalanche are gonna bring their best effort like they did in game six because you and i talked about this on the show yesterday on saturday the kraken didn't lose game six the avalanche won it it wasn't that the kraken played bad it was that the Avalanche found their game. So it was a good Avalanche team versus a good Kraken team, and we saw the difference. We saw a 4-1 game for, obviously, Colorado. In Game 7, I expected both of them to bring their best foot forward, and we saw that again. Seattle was heavily outplayed in the first period, but they weren't turning the puck over. They were overwhelmed by, let's call a spade a spade, a better team, but the better team doesn't always win because the better team is dealing with what the Avalanche have dealt with all season. But... I said downstairs that this game is going to wind up being which goalie plays better. You want that second goal back from Bjorkstrand, but it's still a you know, a rush up the ice, a semi-breakaway with Bowen Byram chasing behind him. Or it was Gerard maybe or Byram? I forget which one. But you want to save on that Bjorkstrand shot, sure. Uh, the other one bounces in off Ben Myers. Georgiev played well, but Grubauer played better.
0: Yeah, you say that the Avalanche were the better team, but really it's just that top line that was, yeah. that was carrying everything, right? And, I mean, it's been a problem, and, and this is no surprise to anybody, but this was another night where you really missed having some depth. I mean, even Jared Bednar alluded to it in his postgame about missing the size and the strength of the guys that were out of the lineup today. And that was such a good point, right? You had some wingers with some size that love to go to the net and aren't afraid to you know, get physical about it. And that's what you needed against a team like Seattle. I mean, they clogged the hell out of the middle of the ice. You and I were watching for a second just at their defensive structure. They would just plant a, def- a defenseman right in the middle of the crease, protect Grubauer, and then they'd play those other four guys almost like a power play, just a, a revolving. PK. A, PK. The, a PK, the diamond, yeah. Yeah, a penalty kill, almost a revolving uh, diamond box type. Um, and it, it. they don't really venture out past the center of the dots. I wouldn't even say that that far. They, they barely even go into the dot, into the face-off circles with their um, puck chasing. So really just letting Avalanche play around on the perimeter, and um, every once in a while they'd be aggressive about it. And they were just, again, exactly the team that we thought we were going to see in this series from Seattle is exactly the team we got. And he's just stubborn, aggressive, and physical, and just had to play structurally sound in order to succeed, and they did d- just that for seven games.
1: They absolutely did. They, they, they played this series the exact way that you had to play it to be at a team that didn't have the depth that the Avalanche had. Miko Ranton and Nathan McKenar-Turri-Lekin in Game 6 and in Game 7, when those three were kind of put back together, they did everything they possibly can to will the Avalanche, and it wasn't enough because when the other lines jumped over the boards, there were just no goals. The and this is something that we talked about last time we recorded on Saturday, but you know, JT Comfort had one goal, Evan Rodriguez had one goal, four assists, and I'm not bashing Evan Rodriguez here. He was unbelievable in this series. I loved what that guy brought, and I sure as hell hope he comes back. That's something that you and I can just discuss here throughout the months of May and June because we're going to have a lot of filler podcasts to talk about the upcoming offseason. July 1st is obviously two months away from when you guys are all probably all listening to this on May 1st. Um, but going back to that, Evan Rodriguez has one goal. JT Comfer had one goal. Val Nachushkin obviously ended up leaving after two games, but he had one goal. That was your second line to start the season. To start the series with Lekkinen, or, you know, Rodriguez on top line. But that was your other three top six forwards aside from Miko, Nate, and Lekanen. Miko had seven in seven games. Nate had three. Lekanen had three. No other forward scored. So it doesn't matter who you else you had jump into the top six. You had Lars Eller jump into the top six at times. You had Matt Nieto jump in. Dennis Malgan got some looks. Nobody else from their forwards scored. It was the top line of Lekanen, Miko, and Nate. It was the second line of Rodriguez, Nichushkin, and Comfer, and not a single other forward scored. That was the difference. That's that's what it was. It's exactly what we thought coming into the series. The Kraken have depth, the Avalanche don't. And then the Avalanche's depth got tested because Darren Helm entered the lineup and then exited. Nichushkin, personal reasons, that whole shit show of a situation. Andrew Cagliano, hurt, out. And on defense, how excited and how much did we pump up the idea of heading into that final stretch of the season, the return of Josh Manson, the return of number 42. And it's not because we've never seen him come back and play quote unquote rusty, because his first time coming back from injury was that game where the Avalanche were on the road in Minnesota and it was his best game of the season. You can see it with the eyes, you can see it from the numbers and Jared Bednar even said it himself that that was his best game. He comes back and looks absolutely brutal for two or three games. And then is back out again with the same injury. So was Josh Manson playing like shit? Or was he playing unbelievably hurt where he just couldn't be himself? Was it a mixture of both? Sure, maybe. But maybe 80-20, 90-10 of injury compared to him not playing well. And then he was out of the lineup right away. All the guys are going to be ready. Darren Helms going to be ready and then he's out. Cagliano's going to be ready and then he's out. It's just their depth was already coming into the series. Not up to par with what the Kraken were going to do. And it got tested. More and more guys left the lineup. And like Nathan said uh, yesterday or this morning or whatever the hell he said it, a lot of guys keep exiting the lineup and nobody's coming back.
0: You know, in hockey, there's obviously this mindset of, well, can you go or not? Right. And it's it's as simple as that. And of course, every team's dealing with it. Every team has guys banged up. But it feels like, okay, let's just say if you're feeling above 50 percent, you're you're good to go. So if you're feeling 51%, let's put you out there because you're all we got. I feel like they had a handful of guys that were at that 51%. They were just barely good enough to go. They were just barely feeling like uh, they could make a positive impact, but you know maybe a, a small step backwards and, and suddenly they're at the 49% or below and are, are no longer adequate, but maybe forcing their way through it. So just obviously a much-needed break for this team, a much-needed rest, recovery time, and, and just having a, a regular-sized off season for them is going to do wonders, right? I mean, not only from the physical side of the game, but a chance to recharge mentally. You remember that last game of the regular season when Nathan McKinnon comes off the ice and says, yeah, I'm actually happy the season's over, yeah. right? And you can probably, he didn't say that tonight, but you know he's probably thinking it. Um yeah I I'd like to win but I'm happy the season's over. So they're going to do a lot of recovering both physically and mentally this off season and you know just wasn't in the cards this year. Regroup,
1: get back at it next year. JJ, it's been 4 years since these guys have had a regular off season. It's been 4 years. 2020 was all fucked up. March to August 1st and then you come back and then you don't play until January something or whenever the hell that shortened season started. And then they lost to Vegas in Game Six in the second round, but it was like June 10th because the second round stretched all the way to mid June. The Stanley Cup wasn't won until mid or end of July by the Tampa Lightning in 2021. So mid June, despite losing in the second round, they still had a June to October turnover. So you're talking 2021 June to October turnover. 2022, June to October, turnover once again. 2023, they lose Game 7. It's April 30th, and they are off until late September when training camp starts. They've got almost five months off. The last time they had a traditional, real offseason like this was in 2019 when they lost Game 7 to the San Jose Sharks. They came back after that year as one of the best teams in the NHL that we've seen over the past four regular seasons with a Stanley Cup to show for it as well. They need this badly. They really genuinely do and I'm sure a lot of you listeners do too. It's it's been an emotional roller coaster and I know a lot of Avalanche fans that have been texting me and DMing me about how this one hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as you would have thought despite losing in game 7 again. Going back to the very first thing we started the podcast with, it's it's they want a Stanley Cup. They lost Kadri, they lost Berkey, they lost Obey Kubel. They obviously signed Nachushkin over Kadri, which I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having this conversation. I, I don't love the amount of people that are texting me saying, "I hope Val's not back next year." I'm not going there yet. We got to figure out what the fuck's going on first. Um, Val didn't fuck over his team. Maybe he did, but like, let's chill on those takes. But then Landeskog doesn't come back. You expected new hook. Was it me? I think it was me that said in September, hey, new hook's gonna break out like Tyler Sagan did in his second season. Boy, was I wrong. JT is your second line center. So it's just it was it was thing after thing for this team where you can't blame them. And then you get to the trade deadline, and and the Chris McFarland hate mind boggles me as well. Because people act like he didn't build this team with Joe Sackick and still isn't building this team with Joe Sackick. The difference is he's now making the calls. But You get to the trade deadline. The Avalanche want Ryan O'Reilly. Toronto jumps ahead of the game and overpays for a player that look what he's doing in the playoffs. He's been unbelievable. If they had him, hey, maybe things are different. But they didn't have the assets to give up what Toronto gave up. Then you turn to your second choice of uh, Sir Jonathan Taves, and then he gets shut down, and and, uh, Chicago announces he's not getting traded. You're looking at Sean Monaghan. Didn't play from December through the end of the year. He's out. Then there was like a little bit of a murmur of Adam Henrique. Three days before the trade deadline, injured out. Like it was thing after thing where it's like, all right, we gotta go for our fifth choice in Lars Eller, who some idiot on a podcast in Denver hyped him up for the last two weeks <laughs> of the regular season, all the way through to Saturday, April 29th, when this idiot on a podcast said Lars Ellers is gonna score in game seven. But here we are. He didn't score, he didn't provide that offensive touch. Another piece of topic we'll we'll discuss over the next couple months is. I feel like Lars Eller is the perfect 900k fourth line center to replace Darren Helm. But obviously that's a conversation for another day. It's just the disappointment that people are feeling should not be the level of disappointment you felt in 2020 or in 2021 losing to Vegas. Or even had the Avalanche lost last year to St. Louis or or even to Edmonton, for example. This one is just different. You got to tip your hat to what this team did. Tip your cap to these guys and just be excited for you and for them that they get this long break and can to come back stronger, obviously with some question marks surrounding Landeskog and Achushka and all the UFAs-to-be.
0: Yeah, I know the the injuries are a definite excuse, and you know, I know you like to get the back, as you just did, get the back of the front office, but I think there's definitely something to be said for the off season and not finding a 2C and saying, all right, we're going with Newhook, the trade deadline, you know a little bit of inactivity, yeah. so to speak, and then you've got Lars Eller tonight as your second line center. Obviously, that, that void was just never filled. They were never able to find anybody to get into the 2C role. No matter what happened with the injuries, it didn't really affect that 2C that position. So um, well, at the end of the day, it's still kind of hurt to not, to not have anybody there.
1: you got to roll your dice and take your chances, and they took a few chances, and this season, look, it's not that I, I, I'm going to have the backs of the front office. It's just that everything they did didn't go right every roll of the dice they made didn't go right let's here's an example for you last year they traded a great prospect in drew Hellison and a high draft pick a second rounder to anaheim for josh manson and he was unbelievable in the playoffs what if the josh manson that showed up to this year against seattle banged up and terrible was the josh manson you got last year and the avalanche lost to edmonton we would be bashing joe sakic what a terrible trade that's the defenseman you go after What if Arturi Lekkinen came in and, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a reach, gave you the same lack of offensive production that you got from Lars Eller? You would be bashing. But everything they did last year, even down to Nico Stern being exactly what you want, a depth forward that you're not going to feel shameful to scratch like you would with Tyson Jost and also brings a physical element that you didn't get in Tyson Jost. And then obviously Cagliano, just what an amazing pickup. Everything they did last year worked out. This year... They said, we'll roll with New Hook, 21 years old, number 16 draft pick. We've seen this over and over again where these young guys put up 30 to 40 points and break out the next season. And they said, we're going to take our chance here after trying to sign Kadri, but obviously not being able to do it. We're going to take our chance here, and it doesn't work. So let's just replace him with JT Comfer because you know what? JT Comfer a season ago, the Avalanche were 4-1. and one. With him as the second-line center when Nazem Kadri was hurt. But here's the thing. JT Comfer, in those five games in the playoffs, played with Val Nichushkin and Gabe Landeskog. So there's another wild card thing. Gabe Landeskog, he's going to be back? Nope, he's not back. So it was just everything they tried. And then obviously the trade deadline, you just talked about it, ends with Lars Eller, and that's the guy they end up with, and that doesn't work out either. Just everything they did went wrong this year. With every move every team makes, you're rolling a dice, you're flipping a coin, and sometimes, you know, that coin is more than likely gonna land on the side of, this is gonna work, just, you know, depending on the move. Like, you can add Vlad Tarasenko, we don't even know if the Rangers are gonna win. You can add Vlad Tarasenko and Patrick Kane and be like, yeah, this is garbage, but they still might lose. You were going into that as the Rangers and Chris Drury thinking, yeah, we're for sure gonna be fine adding these two scores, and even that might end up failing, given everything they gave up. So it's just the front office, their season goes as the players on the ice and the the bad luck of this team goes. Everything they tried just blew up in their face. I'll even throw in the Alex
0: Galchenyuk experiment into that, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that is a guy, maybe a little bit of excitement, getting a PTO with the team, and then he, he had to disappear from the team for a little bit.
1: Can we, can we talk about how Jack Johnson came into the 2021-22 season on a PTO after playing one year with the New York Rangers where he was injured after 15 games after signing a 5 year 15 million dollar contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins only to get bought out after two seasons of it because he was atrocious and we all sat there and we're like uh this is going to be hilariously nothing just like what Curtis Glenn Cross and all the other PTOs of the past that didn't amount Curtis to anything Cross, like wow. that's the first name that thinks of me when i think of Avalanche PTOs Curtis yeah. Glenn Cross and all these PTOs came and went and nothing happened. The 21-22 season was so fortunate and everything went well. Nazem Kadri's coming off an 8-game suspension and a shitty season before he got suspended against the St. Louis Blues and still put up 87 points in 71 games. Everybody, not everybody, a lot of people wanted Kadri trade in the summer of 2021. Joe Sakic said we're going to we're going to roll the dice and try this guy and and he had the regular season he had and scores a hat-trick against St. Louis and then comes back in Game 4 and puts the dagger in the Tampa Bay Lightning with a broken finger in overtime. Like, everything they did last year down to a freaking PTO for Jack Johnson who ended up being a part of your defense when you won the Stanley Cup and a guy that you even brought back at the trade deadline and looked better this year than he did last year. That's how good the 21-22 season went compared to, like you said, add Gal Chenyuk to the bunch. You were hoping to strike another, you know, gold mine and you got a whole lot of nothing for it to the point where Brad Hunt was your number 12 forward. Thank it, you. You were going to say that. That's exactly it. what I was going to go Hit with. the ice time.
0: I mean, it's pretty sad when you're running out of body so much that you have to throw in a fo- throw in a defenseman on your fourth line as a forward and give him 41 seconds of ice time and one shift. And it wasn't the prettiest of shifts, but I wouldn't say it was so terrible that you had to cut him off completely. But that's just exactly it, right? You, you don't have guys that you can trust within your system enough to even make a call up, to even go with a guy like Galchenyuk, to even go with a guy some of the guys that have, you know, been with the Eagles and produced all year long, you're more comfortable throwing in a defenseman that, you know, hasn't even played the full season with the team. So, definitely odd there and um, you know, like you said something we'll get into later in the off season, but it, it's going to be an off season that the Avalanche are going to have to get to work and rebuild, not rebuild, but put put together the broken pieces of this team a little
1: bit. Yeah, it's it's something we're going to talk about, but if you if you ask me just from the onset, <laughs> what makes it hard to build this team, and joe and and uh, Chris know a lot more than you and I do and a lot of the people that are listening, but you have a question mark in number ninety two and you have a question mark in number thirteen. and And those are tough because those are two guys that are under contract and huge parts of your team. and And as many people are saying, I hope Vald's not back in all that bullcrap. If Val Nachushkin comes out and scores seven goals in the first seven games next year like he did this year, everybody will quickly forget what happened. It just wasn't their year this year, and it is what it is. But you have your top line of Lekkinen, and McKinnon, and Rantanen. You have your second-line wingers of Landeskog and Nachushkin, assuming both of those wild cards go in your direction. And then when you look at the bottom six— Alex Newhooks in RFA, and who the hell knows if he, they trade him or if they sign him, given the way his season went, and that he still has value as a trade chip. Ben Myers, are you hoping he breaks out? Because if I were if I were predicting, I'd think the Avalanche are going to make sure they have enough bodies that if Ben Myers doesn't work out this time, they can replace him. JT Comfer, is he going to come back? Lars Eller, is he coming back? Evan Rodriguez, basically what I'm getting. Darren Helm, Andrew Cagliano, basically what I'm Matt Nieto, another UFA. Names are coming to me right now. Basically, what I'm getting at is you have five of your top six, no second line center. And then from your bottom six, the only person I could confidently say will be back next year is everyone's favorite hard worker, number 25, Logan O'Connor. So you might need to fill six forward spots. And obviously, there's a chance they might fill it with a Matt Nieto as a 12-13 forward, with a Lars Eller as a fourth-line center making eight, nine hundred k maybe a million tops to replace Darren Helm rather than coming in and trying to save the season as a second-line center in Game 6 and 7. You know, putting him in a role with the salary of, this fits you a little bit better. But... They have to fill a lot of roster spots. And then you look at the defense. Eric Johnson, is he coming back or is he retiring or is he signing elsewhere? Jack Johnson, same exact thing. Three scenarios there. Uh, Bowen Byram's in RFA. Devontae's is one year away from UFA. And then obviously there's the question hovering around number 49, who's was great in the end of the regular season. Pretty good in the playoffs too. But if you got to clear up cap space somewhere, that's the obvious choice. So there's going to be a lot of things that need to be answered this offseason. And unlike in 2022, or the summer of 2022, I should say, because the Cup was great, the summer of 2023 needs to go a little bit better for this team's offseason, uh, for this team's front office, I should say, and the decisions that they make.
0: Indeed, indeed. Let's take a second for Superbook Sports, guys. Baseball is back. And the push for the postseason is on for hockey and hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. Don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700.
1: So where do we go from here?
0: I don't know. I was going to um ask about the RFAs but you kind of just rattled them off there. <laughs> uh so I I guess where where did the avalanche go from here, right? I mean, like like you said we got to get to work here in the off season, but um it all starts fresh in what, 5 months from now. So You just got to hope for a recharged team and a a team that's a a little bit more potent, I would say, right? The goal scoring has kind of been an issue all season long, and um, you saw it really bite them in the ass here in the playoffs. So uh, you got to get aggressive, got to find some guys that fit the system and and find some guys that have that great mixture of skill and size and physicality that that Jared Bednar loves, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram deals are so fascinating to me. Because, again, Bowen and Byram, like, there's no question that this is an unbelievable player. But how much do you trust that you can give him a longer-term deal right now? How much do you trust that you can even give him a, a bridge deal like what Sergich have got making four-something, four-point-something million before he signed his big $8 million deal, or eight and a half? Because he's missed a lot of games with concussion issues and then injuries and just in and out of the lineup for the last three years. Obviously, not something he planned. It's been unfortunate for him how much money can you put into him? And then you go to the forwards, and you obviously have Ben Myers, who's, a, who's an RFA. If he's going to come back, it's going to be a low money. You know, they're going to just tender him and, and go from there. You have Dennis Malgan, who you can probably bring back making league men or something close to it if he doesn't want to go back to Europe because he was pretty good at the end of the regular season. Another depth forward. Again, we're talking like 12 13 14th forward, not, you know— the guy that where he's can... slotted right now, essentially. yeah, like where he should be slotted, but <laughs> yeah. with the idea in mind that Matt Nieto's not playing on the second line, where you're like, hey, let's try Malgin. Like, no, you have like a legit top six, a legit top nine, and then Malgin's kind of just this extra guy. And then obviously there's Alex Newhook. There's Alex Newhook who look is the idea of Alex Newhook blossoming into a great player something that I think is for sure not going to happen. No. I'm not there, but the St. Louis Blues, and this is a terrible example, but you know what? It got them a Stanley Cup, so who gives a shit? If you're the Blues, you don't care. The St. Louis Blues didn't have the time to wait for Tage Thompson to develop, so they used him as one of the main pieces to bring in Ryan O'Reilly, who won them the Stanley Cup and won the Consmite in the process. And I just said process. Process? Canadian. We're watching a lot of TSN lately. In the process. Haven't lived in Canada. 19 freaking years um lost my train of thought oh yeah so they didn't have the time to wait for tage thompson to develop so they shipped him off as one of the main pieces here we are they won the stanley cup in 2019 in 2022 tage thompson was a 30 goal scorer in 2023 he is blossoming into an unbelievable player and if you're the st louis blues you're not sitting there thinking man i wish i had tage you're sitting there thinking great i'm so happy for him but we have a Stanley Cup and a consummated trophy from one Ryan O'Reilly that we traded for even more draft picks now. So I bring up that example because with Alex Newhook, do you have the time to give him another opportunity to blossom? Because he had all the chances in the world to be the second-line center this year. You would be silly unless you have no choices, and even then, we would question it. If Chris McFarland, Joe Sackick, and the rest of that team go into next season with another— We're going to give Alex Newhook the first look at second-line center. That can't be an option. You have to have Nathan McKinnon and somebody behind him who makes sense. And if that's the case, well, how is Newhook going to blossom in the bottom six? How is Newhook going to blossom as a winger? You got to get him somewhere, in my opinion, where he can get that chance, like he did with the Avalanche this year. But without the pressure of doing it, on a defending Stanley Cup championship team, with, in his mind, thinking, oh, great, I get to play with Val and Landeskog, and then he's playing with Martin Kaut and Nechushkin instead of Landeskog and Nechushkin because of the injury. So that's why Newhook is such a wild card to me. You can sign him for low money and bring him back, but you would be crazy to go into next season again saying Newhook's going to be our first look at second-line center. But at the same time, if you bring him back as a third-liner or a winger, you're not giving him the best opportunity to develop. So it's just such a fascinating question. Does this team have time to wait for him, or do they got to do what the Blues did with Tage Thompson and use him as a trade chip while he's got value to go somewhere else? Because for so many years, the Sabres looked like they had nothing out of Tage Thompson until 2022, he blossoms. And you're like, oh, thank God the piece that we gave up, that we got back for Ryan O'Reilly, ended up becoming a piece.
0: Newhook is just a curious one because I still don't feel like you know what he's going to be as a exactly. player. Exactly. Right? That's a thing. Either there are moments where he has goal-scoring ability. There's moments where he looks a lot like Andrew Cogliano in that four check. And then there's moments where he has neither. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if he's a project to be giving up on just yet. And, you know, we'll get more into this in the off offseason. Yeah. But you know, you feel a lot safer with a guy that you mentioned, like Logan O'Connor. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him next year. Well, know? Logan
1: O'Connor slotted perfectly. He's a winger on your third slash fourth line. I mean, last year when there were injuries and Nicholas Aube Kubel was your third line right winger, that wasn't because he's better than Logan O'Connor. That was because Logan O'Connor with Cogliano and Helm was so unbelievable. You ain't splitting that lineup for nothing. Like, no, nothing's going to get in the way of that combination. So. It kept Logan O'Connor, but he slots in so perfectly. He has a role. Newhook wasn't able to grab a hold of that 2C this year. So does he have a role on this team next year? Because he should be a 1-2C in this league. And if he's not, he's got value right now. you got to trade him. And, you know, whether you get somebody like my favorite uh, (laughs) trade deadline target, Nick Schmaltz, or whatever you want to say, whoever it is that the Avalanche try to get for him, or maybe they just recoup draft capital that they use elsewhere to, to... to trade for pieces at the deadline or whatever it is, at least if you're the Avalanche in two or three years from now, if Newhook breaks out, you can say, I'm so happy for him. But there was no way that was ever going to happen here because we cannot go into another season with Newhook as the guy slotted into that TC hole. But again, we'll save that conversation because I have a lot more to say about it. That is not at 11.48 p.m. the night the Avalanche lose a Game 7.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about the avalanche and the season that was and, and what happened, but I don't think we've given enough credit to the Seattle Kraken. You know, they, they yeah. played well. They didn't have one single guy, I would say, that stood out as the guy that got them through this series. They did it as a team, they did it as a unit, and they did it playing, again, like I said at the top of the show, a structure that they had to play. It, yeah. it fits them, it fits their style of team, and it fits the way they need to Succeed So it's just a perfect storm for them to play that style. We'll see how far it gets them. They got a really tough contest on their hands in the Dallas Stars here in round two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a rough and tumble series. But pop quiz time for you. Do you know how many players on the Seattle Kraken scored a goal in this series? Oh, I would say at least 12. 15 with Oliver Bjorkstrand. Do you know how many of those guys scored more than two goals? Eight. Eight guys scored more than two goals, so just those eight eight of the fifteen. Okay, so three times eight is twenty-four goals. Plus, now you're talking. They scored forty goals in a series. Give me a reasonable answer. That when when it's not midnight. (laughs) No, I don't know. I already gave you an answer and I blew it. Nobody of those fifteen guys scored more than two goals. Zero people scored three goals. I see where you're going. I was I was going the other direction. Yeah, you're going the other direction (laughs) where. Eight guys scored at least three goals, which is 24. Seven more guys had at least a goal, which is like 31. Now you're talking Georgiev had a shitty series because Seattle put up 30, 35 goals in seven games, which is not the case, obviously.
0: You really feel bad for a guy like Georgiev in this series because he he really brought it. And, you know, coming into this season, he was a question mark and and he's no longer a question mark, but. Unfortunately for him, they just didn't, didn't have the goal score. I don't remember support. if
1: I said this to you or I don't remember if I said this somewhere else or on this podcast. I don't know where I said it, but if you listeners heard me say this before, it means I've said it here. The battle of Georgia versus Grubauer was the battle of God. We both wish we were Darcy Kemper. <laughs> like That's ultimately <laughs> what it is. Uh, can you argue with the season that Grubauer had in 2021 in the regular season? No. He was a freaking Vezina Trophy finalist. Can you argue with the season that Darcy Kemper had in the regular season in 2022? No. He was unbelievable. He was a 921 and 37 wins. Can you argue with the regular season that Giorgi have had in 2023? No. He won 40 games. Led the NHL with Linus Hallmark. Also eliminated today. Didn't even get to play game seven because he was so bad. But only one of those guys won the Stanley Cup. And it was the guy that almost lost his eye in the third game and was like borderline. Half- Arguably the worst of the three. Uh, the worst of the three in the playoffs. But again, obviously, there was a circumstance that led to that. Grubauer the team just didn't have it and Grubauer didn't get 87 point Nazem Kadri, and Grubauer didn't get uh, a Nazem Kadri that was unbelievable in the playoffs. He got the guy that was suspended and kind of left his team hung out to dry in 2021. Georgiev didn't even get to play with Nazem Kadri or a second line center or Gabe Landeskog or a whole bunch of things. It was the battle of God. We both wish we were Darcy Kemper and now Grubauer gets to move on. And, you know, I this might blow up in my face later, but Seattle ain't winning the Stanley Cup this year. So Grubauer's still gonna end the season just like Georgiev without a cup, while Darcy Kemper's sitting at home enjoying his long vacation, knowing he still has his from twenty twenty two.
0: Yep, and you know Grubauer feels vindicated. You saw it in that little celebration once the final yeah. horn blew. Uh- I'm honestly
1: I'm happy for him. If there was somebody that you wanted to win this, it was him because he didn't there wasn't any like issues between him and the avalanche he obviously took the the big money deal which he should just like nazem kadri it was another one of those situations where he played a great last year and something that we'll probably see jt comfort do here granted i think jt cost himself a little money in the playoffs but scoring 51 points in the regular season is still something that i think you know people are going to value for a player that's likely going to slot in on your top uh on your bottom six as a as a third line center of some sort
0: yeah, I mean, we got a lot of question marks, I guess, in the in the season to come or the offseason to come and we'll see how the avalanche navigate it. But for now, I guess we'll check out and uh, thank everybody for hanging out with us this this season and this offseason. Right. I mean, I know it's a much needed break for everybody and uh, hopefully the avalanche just approach it correctly, both from a team building standpoint and a rest and recharge.
1: Yeah, and it's been it's been wonderful. We're not going to say our final goodbyes because we'll probably take a week off here. Come back to you guys next Sunday with some off season conversations. We have a ton of ideas of things to get us through uh, May and June because July first and you know even end of June we we got the draft. The Avalanche still have their first round draft pick, something that I often forget, uh, which is a good thing for for a team that is out in the first round. But you know, for now, this next week is going to be a little bit of a recharge. I'll probably write a couple things, but. God, we're, <laughs> we are both about as exhausted as this team is. Um, so it's going to be a nice week off, but, you know, we're not ready to say our goodbyes just yet.
0: Indeed, indeed. So I guess, uh, once again, thanks for hanging out with us all season long and putting up with our podcasts. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not as good. But, hey, we, we do our best and we del- deliver consistently for you. So we love you guys and, uh, you know, we'll still be here for you throughout the offseason
1: and before we put an end to this show the last thing that i want to say is something that i probably should have said a few times throughout the playoffs but you know kept forgetting is jj and i would both really appreciate it whether it's spotify apple google whatever you use to listen to leave a five-star review for us because it helps us it helps us grow this thing and it has grown immensely over the last 12 months going back to may 2nd is when the 2022 playoffs started April 30th is when the 2023 playoffs ended. So both of these last two playoff runs have been in the last 365 days, and we've seen this podcast grow like I never thought it would three, four, or five years ago. So we would really appreciate it if you guys could leave a five-star rating. Tell us why you love us um, if you don't and if you don't feel like it's a five-star rating. You can sit this one out. It's fine. I don't want to <laughs> bother you. But if you, if you have a five-star rating in you, we would really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just made me realize, in the last 12 months, we've probably had about six weeks of break. Six weeks of non-Avalanche hockey, and, you know, the players, more than any of you, you and I just sit here and run our stupid mouths. The players take sticks to the face, they take pucks to the ankles. They're feeling it, we're feeling it, everybody's feeling it. So thanks for hanging out with us on this podcast, and if you made it this far in the season, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And
1: we out you.